Hello, and welcome back to All Rings Considered, episode 51, book 5, chapter 8, The Houses of Healing. Uh, with me, as always, is Pip, and I'm Charlie, and yeah, I'm ready to go. Uh, I got my beer, Pip. Um, you drinking anything tonight, or is it just... I, I am. I am drinking a PBR, but it's not just any PBR. It's PBR Easy. They make that? They do. And they I'm not even kidding. Easy. I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's actually pretty good, uh, but uh, it's not That's... light. It's easy. Like, for regular PBR, it's very generous. It's you. actually pretty good. Um, sure. Um, great. I Well, I can't really judge. I have, I'm drinking a yingling, so good. So we're all set then. Let's talk about the Houses of Healing. Um, let's start by letting everybody know what happened in this chapter. It's actually very short and sweet. Uh, Aragorn has returned to the city to go to the Houses of Healing and heal Faramir, Eowyn, and Mary, all three of whom were injured in battle uh, outside the city. He does this by using a plant called Athalos, or King's Foil, which the Gondorian doctors all think is just garbage, um, or at best some kind of like tea sweetener sort of deal. Not literally tea, but you know the idea, right? Like just some kind of herb to flavor water or something like this. And it smells nice, uh, but it actually, in the hands of a king, has healing properties. Aragorn, by doing this, then proves that he's actually the rightful king of Gondor. However, one thing to note in this chapter is that Aragorn is not sort of proclaiming himself. He is deliberately not taking up the mantle of king. He's unfurled all his banners and flags, or furled them, I guess. Yeah, he furled them. He's furled them. He's taken yeah. them down. Uh, because he wants to wait until they've defeated Sauron before he makes that claim, in order to avoid any kind of p- people who might object uh, to, his, to his claim. Uh, just no controversy. Let's get rid of the enemy first, and then we'll make sure everybody's okay and on board with him being king. Um, but yeah, that's the whole chapter. So it, there's not much event-wise, but there's a lot of cool details here I'm hoping to unpack uh, tonight. Yeah, it's a very, uh, you know, of all the chapters we've read recently, I think I think this one's the most spiritually overt. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's very hard to, to avoid some of the parallels between, um, yeah. you know, Aragorn and, and uh, you know, sort of a Christian myth. Yeah, let, let's start there. Like, the way Aragorn heals the sick here is very Christ-like, right? Just overtly so. Lazarus, come forth. Yeah, abs- yeah. Uh, yeah, even that kind of sort of like coming forth language gets used a lot here of Aragorn's. He's leading them back in some way. Uh, I mean, shoot, crack open any of the four Gospels in the New Testament, and you get this same kind of stuff whenever Jesus is healing a sick or raising someone from the dead, as you mentioned with Lazarus. So, um very overt there. Uh, I'm not super sure what to make of that in any deeper sense. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? Well, I mean, I think maybe the first thing worth mentioning for anyone who's not uh, like reading the chapter right away is that this sickness is described as not a um, like a mortal sickness. The sickness has um, some sort of spiritual quality about it. Um, and when they're describing when each different character, uh, Mary Eowyn and Faramir uh, got this sickness. They call it um, the Black Breath, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's um, they describe they describe when they uh, first were afflicted by this as way before the actual event where they became where they fell in, in the previous chapter. Right. Like so, like for Eowyn, it's um, 
Aragorn talks about how he sensed this, you know, sort of doom about her before. Yes. Um, they even left. And then Faramir said he had even had it before he went to retake um, some of the Outer Lands for Denethor. So, So it's almost, I mean, like, if we go with the biblical parallel again here, these people were sort of in sin long right. before the Christ figure Kate. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it is kind of cool. There's this uh, theme that keeps repeated through this chapter. Is, um, in the beginning, an old woman says that uh, the hands of the king are the uh, hands of a healer, and so the rightful king be known, uh, or so shall the rightful king be known. And so it's kind of interesting that Aragorn's also being given sort of a test uh, in this uh, in this chapter, where he is sort of having to prove himself. Um, thought it was kind of interesting because it's it makes me think that there's you know they, they had a false king before right they had you okay. know denethor who's kind of this this false king and then now we're actually applying a uh immeasurable like a scientific method uh sort of test to aragorn to see if he is actually a, a true ruler here yeah that's an interesting impulse the book has i think it fits in with this broader theme i'm seeing a lot in this chapter and it's a big theme of the whole book and that's this idea that, I mean, this book, this text has this veneer of traditionalism, I would say, but ultimately it's actually rejecting it. I think this is one of those things that makes the book so weird. It feels like it should be very conservative. And I think because of that feel, right, the feel of myth and epic, people often assume it's very conservative. And mm -hmm. I mean, characters speak strangely and archaically, and there seems to be all this interest in uh, bloodlines, but it, even a casual read of this book, and this is why I say the critics don't actually sincerely engage with this text because, dear God, if you missed this, I don't know what to tell you. But even a casual read of this book is going to show you that uh, this text is actually rejecting traditionalism, or at least when it thinks it is, in fact, wrong. Aragorn here is needing to be, like, democratically acclaimed almost, right? I mean, there is this, like, old-fashioned idea of this uh, almost pro prophecy kind of thing with the hands of the healer, but everyone's all, he's very afraid of just marching in and proclaiming himself. Uh, he wants to make sure everybody approves of him. That's, that's interesting. Uh, it strikes yeah. me as somewhat modern. Um, there's this great moment when um, Pippin calls him Strider. And I think it's, a, or it's Imrahil, the other prince, I think, who says, what, why are you, why is this happening? Why is this guy talking to the king this mm -hmm. way? And everyone defends it and says, you know what? I want to name my house Strider. Yeah. Um, it's, he has it's many a, names, right? Yeah, he's like, I got a lot of names, but you know what? My, I mean, he, he just really amplifies the Strider name there yeah. and embraces it. And, I mean, so he's embracing his, like, shabby, you know, I mean, remember how people like Butterbur thought of him, right? Like, that's the Strider name. That's the, the name of the outcast, the guy nobody liked. And he embraces it. He wants it. He says he's going to make it his house name. He, you have, this might even be worth more time, but Eowyn, you have this wonderful bit here where Gandalf defends Eowyn. I, I don't know if defense is the right word, but he, he's trying to explain Eowyn's sort of uh, torment, so to speak. In other words, mm -hmm. when did she get the, the black breath? And Eomer attributes it to Eowyn meeting Aragorn and falling for him and being spurned. Right. But Gandalf doesn't. He says it goes back farther than that. He has this great line. He says, 
He says to Amber, my friend, you had horses and deeds of arms in the free fields, but she, born in the body of a maid, had a spirit and courage at least the match of yours, yet she was doomed to wait upon an old man, whom she loved as a father, and watch him falling into a mean, dishonored dotage, and her part seemed to her more ignoble than that of the staff he leaned on. And he keeps going, there's another great paragraph of writing after that, but mm -hmm. part of Gandalf's point here is that Eowyn was unable to perform what she really was meant to do right what she had the character and power to do because of her assigned role in society as this like, maiden right so so it's you know and, and becky strapple talks about this when she was on our episode uh, on our podcast rather a couple episodes ago Eowyn is is uh acting outside of what society tells her is fit that prescribed traditional worldview in the yeah. end like this book this the book has a worldview but insofar as it's like traditional that's coincidence when that lines up in the yeah. end and it does it does sometimes it's anti-technology it, it does fall into the trap of othering sort of non-europeanish sounding cultures it, that that can happen it comes up i'm not denying it but ultimately like this book does reject tradition when it feels tradition is wrong and to say that it's somehow like a traditionalist is i think a refusal to actually read the text and read what the text says yeah, it's a very surface level sort of, ah, oh, I see that there are swords in this book. Yeah. That's, a, that's traditional, right? Something else I think you mentioned about that I wanted to go off for Aragorn was really interesting. Him, uh, you know, uh, saying, you know, defending uh, the him being called Strider. Um, you have this sort of parallel with Gandalf where the characters that are these huge, like most important, you know, Christ figures um, in the book have these relationships with hobbits right and they have this sort of you know the great pilgrim or strider being or uh, aragorn being you know strider having a very personal relationship with uh the characters that are meant to be like individual humans right so or yeah. you know hobbits being sort of the lay people um and not yeah representations of like mythical figures yeah something interesting about aragorn coming in to heal you know that could be i'm not sure if it's uh what to make of it but he uh is there even when he's not there in a way uh i think that's okay, sort of what do you a, mean? A, so i think that's that's so what do you think about this i think it's kind of christian this sort of um uh even in a i don't want to say this um the idea that god has is always with you in a sense um that even in a not official capacity there is you know he's uh there in your time of need okay yeah so the aragorn is not yeah. officially you know the kingdom of god has not uh been established right you know the aragorn right. gondor has not been rebuilt but aragorn the the man the healer is is there um yeah it, I don't know, uh, it might be a bit of a stretch but it, it couldn't I can help see it. it. The way he yeah. kind of does mysteriously appear in the houses of healing after everybody thought he was outside the city, and then he's just there in a cloak and hidden. Yeah, I think because the reality is we see these Christ parallels right with so many characters. It's not just Aragorn. It's Gandalf. Right. We've talked about that before. It's <laughs> Frodo. We've talked about that before. Tolkien's not trying to say any one of these people is, is. Jesus. Or yeah, something. <laughs> you know, Tolkien in this text believed that the universe is sort of iterative and is constantly repeating the same motifs and themes and so tolkien or this text rather 
Um, I sometimes got to catch myself doing that, right? Like I always talk about Tolkien, but in the end, it's probably safer to talk about like the text. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Um, in the end, this text is saying like these qualities are going to show up and they're, they're the right qualities to have. And they're going to show up in people doing the right thing. Right. No matter what, like over and over again. Um, it is perhaps obvious, but it's worth pointing out that um, I guess the really the true big takeaway of this chapter is that a good leader is not just good in war, but he's good at healing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's kind of straightforward and obvious, but it's worth pointing out. Might be another way that this book is rejecting sort of traditionalism um, and going for a more modern approach, right? This is a more 20th century impulse, I think, than it is a, uh, say, medieval or ancient one. So there's a, there's a really funny part in this chapter, too. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of the tension between Aragorn uh, and the Gondorians, sort of the people who are maintaining the House of Healing. Um, yeah. Where they who, have, who are like, idiots, by the, the way. The, yeah. <laughs> There's the part where uh, the lore master, uh, or who's, who is it? It's the herb master um, ha- knows a poem um, that... And it's about like, oh, yeah. you know, the the poems basically says, oh, when there's black breath, um, <laughs> King Aragorn will use King's yep. oil to heal Mary yeah. and Eowyn and uh, Faramir. And the, the guy yeah. just goes, yeah, but, you know, it's just some old wives tale poem. You know, who knows what it means? Yeah, like, who I knows no what idea. that means? <laughs> right. Um, but I, I thought this. So it's it's funny. And then Aragorn uh, actually complains about this to yeah. um, to Mary. Yes. Um, Great moment. And at first I thought it was, it was my first reading of it is it's like, oh, this is kind of stupid, right? Where, cause you're reading this and you're thinking, oh, well, how care, how could characters be this dense? But I see it as kind of an interesting sort of criticism of just, just knowing something, but like knowing the, um, uh, syntax and knowing the, the exact, uh, phrasing of something, but not knowing the meaning. Yeah. Um, where like the Gondorians have, and it says in the beginning of the chapter that Gondorians for their healing, they were still really good at this. Um, like they weren't, people didn't live to be past a hundred anymore, but they were still like well educated. Um, but there's something really lost there where they have sort of this, uh, education about all the different names that things, uh, could be, you know, King's foil and, you know, these poems, but they don't have any actual, uh, practice of it yeah i mean they've they have fallen far from their glory days that's come out in all these chapters too hasn't it we've talked about this decay of civilization that they Mm. sort of stand in and represent and yeah that's one of them and it is still a little bit of a weird moment i think i think if i were to revise this book that's one of the bits i tell Tolkien maybe sharpen that a bit (laughs) right (laughs) like that poem is too obvious there's (laughs) no way (laughs) um but uh, it is it is good to see Aragorn makes fun of the the Erdmaster for it. So so Tolkien was aware that he was just an idiot, and so was Aragorn the character. Um, but I but I wonder if it's like if it's Tolkien or the text um, having right, right. like something about morality, right? Where you can, I mean, that's a very common uh, criticism of of uh, those who uh, espouse to uh, practice a certain type of morality. Or religion and know the mm-hmm. uh, know the items of it, but are not actually practicing. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I could definitely see that. All right. Um, last thing I just had uh, to point out in terms of big things is uh, 
cool little parallels at the beginning between Mary and Pippin and Frodo and Sam. Mm-hmm. Mary in the Frodo role and Pippin in the Sam role. Um, Mary now has a connection with the Witch King just like Frodo does, that he's been hurt by him in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, Pippin and Mary, Pippin sort of takes care of Mary in the same way Sam takes care of Frodo, and they even sit down and lean against each other in the very similar way that Frodo and Sam do at the end of book four. So I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, and then I just wanted to call attention to um, how many beautiful lines and passages there are in this chapter. What a! I think this is just one of those times Tolkien was on a roll. He's he's got a lot of great stuff here, and um, yeah, the Gondor. I love this stuff paragraph here. Yeah, there's there's too much for me to read for just favorite lines. That's why I want to sort of highlight it now. Sure. Go um, ahead. I mean this this paragraph here is is great. Um, it seemed to those who stood by that a keen wind blew through the window, and it bore no scent, but was an air wholly fresh and clean and young, as if it had not before been breathed by any living thing, and came new-made from snowy mountains, high beneath a dome of stars, or from shores of silver, far away washed by seas of foam. Lots of great paragraphs like this. Gandalf's, again, sort of apology for th- for Eowyn, excuse me on her sort of origin of the black breath is worth reading as well yeah i, I mean really, it's long though yeah. i can't read the whole thing here but i'm just saying tons of great moments in this chapter please you know if you listen to this podcast go back give it a read really really good stuff here yeah i, I have to i have to second that um excellent chapter um i love the description of uh when aomir discovers that aowen is actually alive um mm-hmm. i just I, I felt it oh yeah um, that's a great one yeah. Uh, Can we read that one? Is that that's, that's pretty short, right? Uh, yeah, let's find it. Then the hope unlooked for came so suddenly to Eomer's mm. heart, and with it the bite of care and fear renewed, that he said no more, but turned and went swiftly from the hall, and the prince followed him. Yeah, I just I I love the uh, the bite of care and fear renewed. Uh, yeah. Because this, this is after hope battle, for, right? Like a lot, yeah. So like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, you know, one cool thing we, I wanted to mention was, uh, so Théoden is dead, um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but he, he was, uh, his last rites, his, or his, or rather his funeral, uh, his burial practice, he's laid down with his unsheathed sword, and the sword is often a uh, metaphor or symbol for action. And we were kind of talking about the differences between Theoden and Denethor as they approach death. Uh, what's their uh, mode? Denethor being sort of nihilistic uh, and Theoden saying, well, uh, we are going to die. I'm going to do something anyway. Um, so that's great that his, he's buried with his sword unsheathed. Okay, nice. I like that. Yeah. Oh, I never even thought about it. Um. Well, well, do you, well, do you have a favorite to... line? I think we're ready. Yeah, okay. Let's wrap it up. Um, yeah, I do have a favorite line, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> it's such a poorly written chapter, it's a surprise. No, I'm kidding. Um, he, my favorite line comes from Gandalf. Sorry. <clears throat> my favorite line comes from Aragorn. He's talking about Eowyn um, in response to Eumer's, um point that Eowyn had feelings for Aragorn. And Aragorn says this, he says, And yet, Eomer, I say to you that she loves you more truly than me, for you she loves and knows, but in me she loves only a shadow and a thought, 
a hope of glory and great deeds in lands far from the fields of Rohan. And I just think this is a great universal impulse, right? To, mm-hmm. uh, to love someone who is in just a shadow and a thought. Right. Uh, it's, it's so universal. And, but also, I th- and I think one of those impulses though, that we mostly talk about more in the modern age. And so I've mentioned this whole episode that this is a, a book grappling with more modernish ideas wrapped in traditional veneer and i think this is a good example of that um great line love it it's one of those it's one of those that sticks with me and i, I it comes to me sometimes my brain right <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. uh so i think i was it's a mark of a great line it's excellent yeah what do you got um so the one for me actually was one i have looked over in previous readings uh but somehow it just it really hit me like a sack of bricks um <clears throat> it's when pippin is helping he he went out looking for Mary and he found him and then he's helping him up you know some stairs and through through Gondor, um, and he mentions that he uh, it's a good thing that uh, or he was uh, he thank goodness he found Mary because he, you know he'd been overlooked and then Mary has this reply um, it's not always a misfortune being overlooked said Mary I was overlooked just now by. No, no, I can't speak of it. Help me, Pippin. It's all going dark again, and my arm is so cold. And just the, I don't know, like I felt something in, like in my chest when I read this because he, you know, it's uh, it's actually really um, sort of rare to be in this book to have that sort of such a sharp amount of vulnerability. Um, you know, we often have characters that are very brave, um, but or characters that are like, you know, uh, engulfed by despair, but here just the, the call for help, uh, to his good friend that is right there, uh, is, uh, I don't know. I think it's very, it's very powerful. Yeah. Nice. Um, you know, and and I think if somebody, if we had had more time or if somebody, uh, was going to think about this chapter on their own, I think something really, uh, worth going into would be, the um the different ways in which the the three were healed so we have uh hmm. they have very different experiences far mirror eowyn and mary eowyn had to have her brother uh there mary just kind of perked up um and farmer had this sort of sense of duty about him so if you're i'll leave that as an exercise yeah for the for the, for the reader <laughs> someone else write a paper on that yeah uh, <laughs> all right excellent um but yeah, because we are about just out of time. Next week, we have Chapter 9, The Last Debate. Looking forward to it, and we'll see you then.